We read from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, about the Ark of the Covenant and the three things that were in it. The uh, golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and then the tables of the covenant. And this morning, I, 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 have, I have a real simple message. I, I want to go back and I want to look at the Ark of the Covenant uh, when God gave Moses the original instructions for it. I want to go back and quickly look at the three things that were put in it and read the scriptures where God told Moses to put those things in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, I want to remind you of what those things in the Ark of the Covenant were supposed to be a token for, what they were supposed to remind the children of Israel about. And then I want to look at what the Israelites used the Ark of the Covenant for, and then I want to bring it all together and talk about what that means for us uh, today. So I have about 18 points this morning, so I have to get started. <laughs> Listen quickly this morning. God gave Moses the instructions for the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25. He said it was to be made out of shittim wood. It was to be two and a half cubits long, which is about 47 inches long. One and one half cubits wide, which is about 27 inches wide. One and one half cubits tall, so another 27 inches tall. It was to, it was to be overlaid with gold. And then there was to be a crown on, a, a, a crown on it, an edging of gold. In each of the corners, there was to be a golden ring. And then they were supposed to make two shaves or staves or poles of shittim wood, cover them with gold. Those poles would go through the rings on the corner of the Ark of the Covenant uh, because nobody was supposed to touch uh, this piece of furniture that was a holy piece of furniture that was going to be located in the Holy of Holies. In fact, we read a story in the Bible about when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant one time. They were moving it on a wagon. They weren't carrying it the way that God told them to carry it. And the oxen stumbled in the cart that the Ark of the Covenant was on a shook. And a man reached his hand out to steady it so it wouldn't fall to the ground. And God killed him. He fell over dead. Uh, guy was trying to do a good thing, but he disobeyed God and, and touched something that he wasn't supposed to touch. And so God killed him. So these poles were supposed to go through the rings for the, the, the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was a flat piece of gold, two and a half cubits long, again, as long as the Ark was. Uh, and it, it, it sat on top, and on top of this plate of gold was two cherubims, two angels, uh, they, their, their faces were turned toward the center, and they each had a wing out. So there was one over here with his face turned this way and his wing this way, and there was one over here with his face turned this way and with his wing touched out this way, and their wings touched in the middle. And in the, in the middle, on the, on, this, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, they, they called it the mercy seat. Again, it was made out of gold. That's where the presence of God sat, or the presence of God dwelt. Uh, and, 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 and so in the Holy of Holies, uh, which the high priest could only come into uh, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, he could only come in with blood, uh, they, he came to the Ark of the Covenant, to the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelt. Now, there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. We read about them in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. 
Uh, the first one was the, was the testimony or the law or the Ten Commandments, the two tablets that God wrote on on Mount Sinai, written in stone by the finger, with the finger of God. The Ten Commandments that the children quoted for us this morning. And I did not know they were going to do that until this morning when Brother Jeff told me, I said, man, this is good. God is so good. He knew, he, he knew what I was preaching. He knew he'd have the kids say the Ten Commandments. I love it when something like that happens. And so in Exodus chapter 25, God says this to Moses, And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Again, the Ten Commandments, the law, pinned by God's own hand. The law that tells us, tells mankind how to live. If you were listening to when the children said the Ten Commandments, the first four dealt with our relationship with God. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any golden, don't make any images and bow down to them. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those four talk about how we're to live our life in relationship with God. The last six are instructions to us for how do we are to live our life in relationship to one another. So honor your father and mother. Don't, don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Uh, don't commit adultery. Which one did I? Do not kill. What? Do not kill. Yes. So those are the other six. Uh, and so, again, they talk about how we live our life in relationship uh, to one another. So God said, Moses, here's these two stone tablets. Put them in the Ark of the Covenant. The second thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant, we read about in Exodus chapter 16. This was before the Ark was built, but God knew what was going to happen, so he was getting something ready. He said in Exodus chapter 16, and, uh, uh, this, and Moses said, This is the thing with that which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer handful of it, the manna, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. When that nation of Israel was going through the wilderness, they were fed by God. On occasion, they got meat. Uh, Jeff and Kim brought quail to church last week. It was live quail. They were talking about this story so they could show the kids what a quail looked like. Uh, but they took the quail back home again, so it's no longer here. But anyhow, God fed them with quail meat sometimes, but every day, six days a week, he gave them bread from heaven. He gave them manna. It came with the dew. They went out and gathered it and, and, and ground it up and cooked it and baked it, and, and they ate on that. Uh, they, they were instructed, don't save it for tomorrow. I'll give it to you every day. If you save it to tomorrow, it's going to rot. Some people disobey God. They tried to save it till tomorrow, and it bred worms, the Bible says. But God said, I'm going to give it to you six days a week. I'm not going to give it to you on the Sabbath day. So on the sixth day, uh, I'll give you twice as much, and you can keep the extra portion overnight, and it will not rot. And sure enough, it didn't. And, and, and God told Moses, I want you to get a pot of it. I want you to get a pot of manna. And I want you to put it in the Ark of the Covenant so people can be reminded of how I fed you in the wilderness. The third thing in the Ark of the Covenant uh, was uh, Aaron's rod that budded. We read this story in Numbers chapter 16 and 17. There were some people that rose up against Moses and Aaron and said, why are you the leaders? 
I mean, we're just as qualified to lead as you are. And they rose up in rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. God didn't like this very much. In fact, he did something new, something that had never been done before. He opened up the ground and swallowed up those people. When they rebelled against God's leaders, God opened up the earth and swallowed them up. After that event, uh, God wanted to prove to the people that Moses and Aaron were indeed the leaders he wanted. And so he told Moses, say, hey, tell, tell the, the 12 different tribes, tell the leaders of the 12 different tribes to bring a staff from each tribe. Set that aside for the night. And the rod that buds. Now, again, these were walking sticks. They weren't, weren't planted. They were dead sticks that people use for walking sticks. But set them aside, and the rod that buds is going to belong to the tribe that I've chosen to be leaders. Moses and Aaron belonged to the tribe of Levi. They got the 12 walking sticks from the 12 different tribes, set them aside. When they came and looked at them the next morning, the rod that Aaron provided, the rod from Moses' tribe, budded. And God said, put that in the Ark of the Covenant too. I want people to remember that I provided leaders for them to lead them uh, wherever they went. So the ark was a little box. It was about four foot long, a little bit over two feet wide, a little bit over two foot tall. There were three things in it. The law, the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod. If you, if you were paying attention, each time that God instructed his people to put something in the ark of the covenant, he says, this is a token This is a reminder. When you look at the three things and you recall the three things that are put, that are in the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to remember some things. I want you to remember, first of all, how I took care of you. I want you to remember when you were walking through the wilderness, you did not have a need that I didn't meet. When you were hungry, I gave you bread from heaven. I sent meat from the sky. Of course, it didn't fall from heaven. The wind blew it in and, and it fell from the sky. He said, but I fed you. When you were thirsty, I sent Moses to the rock and I brought water from the rock. I took care of you. When you went through the wilderness, your clothes didn't wear out. Your shoes, you, you know, sometimes I know when my kids were growing up, seems like I, every month I was buying them a new pair of shoes. In the wilderness, their shoes grew to match their feet. They didn't have to buy new shoes or make new shoes in the wilderness. God preserved the shoes for the people whose feet weren't grown and for the people whose feet were growing. He made the shoes grow too. He took care of every need that they had in the wilderness. And and God said, when you look at the Ark of the Covenant and you see that little pot of bread, I want you to be reminded that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your need. When you look and you see the Ten Commandments, I want you to be reminded that I've told you how to live. I've told you how to get along with me. I've told you how to get along with each other. I mentioned in Sunday school, in Sunday school, this book is our owner's manual. Everything we need to know to get along with God is in this book. And everything we need to know to get along with each other is in this book. And God says, I want you to remember when you think about the Ark of the Covenant and you think about the law being in there, that I've given you instructions how to live. And then number three, when you think about the Ark of the Covenant and you think about Aaron's rod that budded, budded that's in there, I want you to remember that I led you. 
I, did, I talked to Moses, and Moses talked to Aaron, and Aaron talked to you. But the leadership was not coming from Aaron. The leadership was not coming from Moses. It was coming from me. I told him. When, uh, and by the way, we know God put a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by not, night. When the cloud or pillar of fire stopped, the Israelites were supposed to stop. When it moved, it was, they were supposed to move. And it was God that provided leadership uh, for his people as they made their way to the promised land. So those were the three things. Those were the three occasions that they placed something in the Ark of the Covenant. Now quickly, what did the people use the Ark of the Covenant for? Number one, it was the place where they met God. God resided on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Moses wasn't the high priest, but when Moses wanted to talk to God and get instruction from God, he would come before the Ark of the Covenant. And he would converse with God. It was the place where the Israelites met God. Number two, they used it when they went into battle. Uh, you remember at the, at the, at, at, when they were taking the city of Jericho, God gave instructions uh, to Joshua. And, 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 and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city one time for six days, seven times the seventh day. And put in the front of the procession the Ark of the Covenant. They used the Ark of the Covenant, again, where the presence of God dwelt, to go into every battle that they fought. God wanted them to know that they never was gonna, were never going to fight a battle by themselves. That every battle that they went into, he was going to be with them. He was going to give them what they needed to face the enemy to fight that battle. And then number three, when the Israelites needed something special, when all human hope was lost, and, and, and when they needed a miracle from God... They went to the Ark of the Covenant. Again, I take you back when they were getting ready to go into the Promised Land. They had to cross the Jordan River. It was flooded at that time. And God told Joshua, he said, you have the priest pick up the Ark of the Covenant. You have them wade out into the water. And when they wade out into the water, I'm going to dry it up. And you know the story. When they waded out into the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant uh, on those poles that they carried it, God split that Jordan River and the Israelites passed over to the Promised Land on dry land. And so when the people of God needed a miracle, they went to the Ark of the Covenant and got it from God. So it was an important piece of furniture. It was important for the Jews. Where's the Ark of the Covenant today? Nobody knows. I've read people that think that it's hidden somewhere in the desert and at the end times God's going to reveal it to the Jews as they rebuild the temple. I've read other people that think it's already in heaven. I have no idea where the Ark of the Covenant is. But where's our Ark of the Covenant? Where, I mean, th- th- this piece of furniture that was so important to the Jews, where is our Ark of the Covenant? I submit to you this morning that... We are in the midst of the Ark of the Covenant. I submit to you this morning that our church, and I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church, the called out assembly of God. This group of believers that have been built up, brought together, cemented together by God. I submit to you this morning that this is our Ark of the Covenant. This is the place that we go when we want to meet God. 
I know we can meet God as an individual. I know that we can meet God wherever we are. I know that he never leaves us or forsakes us. But I want to tell you something. I don't feel the presence of God any more powerful than I do when I come into the presence of this group of people. I, I, and many of you have testified the same. When we get together as a called out assembly of God and our spirits commune with one another, we feel the presence of a holy God. Just like we walk, just like if we walked into the Holy of Holies and saw the Ark of the Covenant with that mercy seat. Sometimes I feel like falling on my face before a holy God. I pray and I know that he's here in our midst. And so here's where we go when we want to feel and know the presence of God. Here's where we go to our church. Again, not the building, but this group of people that have been called out by God when we're getting ready to go into a battle. Many, many people in our congregation are in a battle. You're in a battle. Some of you are in a battle of health. Some of you are in a battle of a relationship. There's other things that are going on in people's lives that many of you don't know about. But when we get ready to go into battle, I can't think of a better place to come than this place. This place. This is where... We feel the presence of God. This is where we get strength and encouragement. Exactly what we need when we're facing surgery. Or when we're facing a report from the doctor. Or we've got the report from the doctor. Now we're going to have to go through the battle of the the treatment. God reminds us in our Ark of the Covenant. In our Ark of the Covenant. That we never go through battles alone. He's always out in front of us. He's not behind us pushing us and saying, don't worry, I've got your back. He's ahead of us and saying, come on, I'll lead the way. And this, when we need something special from God, when all human hope is lost, when when humanity doesn't have an answer to the, the problem or the question that we have, and we need something special, we need a miracle from God, we need something that only God can do. Here's where we come. Again, not to this building. Not to this building. But to this group of people that God has called together. And we pray. And we pray. And we pray. And we've seen time after time after time where God says, Okay, I hear you. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to work a miracle in your life. Because you see... Our Ark of the Covenant ought to remind us about the same three things that it reminded the Jews of. It ought to remind us that God is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. Look, as one of God's children, you don't have to worry about what to eat. I mean, I think you ought to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But it's not your employer that puts the food on your table. It is your God. He knows what you need. He said, I know you have. Don't worry about these things. I know what you need. You seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'll make sure you have everything that you need. We need to be reminded, and we are reminded, when we come into the presence of this group of people, that we have a God that will meet our needs. We need to be reminded that he's told us how to live. And when we come to this place, we open this book, and, and, and we hear it taught, and we hear it preached. And from this book... We know how to get along with God. From this book, we know how to get along with one another. And then we're reminded. We're reminded 
that we don't wander through life aimlessly, that God will lead us. He'll lead us. He'll direct our paths. He'll show us the way to go. Now listen, these things that I've talked about, God does for his children. He does for those that are a member of his family. Here's the question I have for you as I close. Is he doing it for you? Are you a member of his family? Are you saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? You can't claim any of the things I've talked about. You don't don't have an Ark of the Covenant unless you know Jesus as your Savior. I I had a funeral yesterday morning. It was a sad funeral, and it was a hard funeral. The circumstances of the person's death was very, very sad. And when I talked to his family on Friday, I always, the first question I always ask, and I was talking to his kids, I said, was your dad a Christian? Did he know Jesus as his Savior? And none of them could say for sure that they, they, they didn't know if their dad went to church when he was younger. They, of course, that he didn't go when they were growing up. And all three of them said, we don't know. Don't know if dad was a Christian or not. And again, the circumstance of his, of his death was very, very sad, very, very hard on his children. And so, you know, if you've been to a funeral that I've conducted, you know, the first part of the funeral, I always try to give people hope. I remind them of the scriptures that say that, you know, we just pass through a shadow of death for a Christian when we die. You know, our body dies, but part of us that lives forever just moves to a different place. I couldn't do that for this family. In fact, one of the sons talked to me Friday after I talked to all three of them together. And he said, Preacher, do you think there's any hope after a person dies that they can get into heaven if they've never been saved? And I looked at him and said, you know, I wish I could tell you that there was, but I've got to be honest with you, I don't think there is. I don't believe the Bible says there's any hope if a person dies without Christ. I don't believe the Bible provides any hope for that person getting to heaven. I, I know there's some beliefs that, you know, you can pray a person into heaven or you can pay a person into heaven, but I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I said, I wish I could tell you something different, but i got to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't think so. Well, when I got to the service the next day on Saturday morning, again, it's always hard for me to preach a sermon, a funeral service, knowing, not knowing whether the person was in heaven or not. And so I came to the last part of the service, as I always do. Um, I presented the gospel. And I told him, I said, you know, God made each of you to have a relationship with him. Sin messes up that relationship. God made you to be his child. God made you to be part of his family. And your sin messes that up. And I, and I helped him understand that sin was disobedience to God, that like the kids talked about, the Bible says if we break the law in one point, we're guilty of all. And so if we're a liar, it makes us a sinner. If, we're, if we disobey our parents, we don't honor them, that makes us a sinner. And so we're guilty before God. And it broke, breaks our relationship. There's nothing we can do to fix it. But then I told them what we couldn't do, God did for us. He sent his son to live among us, tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. And then allowed mankind to take him and nail him to a cross. And as Jesus hung on the cross, God put on him every one of our sins. Every one. 
My sin, not in part, but in whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. He paid for our sins. And as I always do, I ask people to bow their head, and I said, some of you may be here and you've never received Christ as your Savior. I'd like to pray for you that today would be your day of salvation. I'll be honest with you, because of the circumstances of the funeral, because of the family background, I did not expect one person to raise their hand. Not one person. But when I had them bow their heads and I said, I want to pray for you, I want to say, say a prayer that if you're here today and you've never been saved, that just raise your hand. Again, I won't come back to you. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. First person that raised his hand was that son who asked me, Preacher, do you think there's any hope for heaven after a person dies? And I said, no, that's why you've got to be ready before you die. In fact, he not only raised his hand. You know, I'd ask everybody to raise, bow their heads. I said, nobody's looking around for me. He raised his head, opened his eyes, looked at me and did like this. I said, I see you. I see you. He put his hand down. One of the men that has died, one of his teenage granddaughters, raised her hand. And then one of his, uh, one of the guy, the guys, one of his, it wasn't a teenager, younger than a teenager, one of his grandsons raised his hand. By the time we were done, there were nine people that raised their hand, said, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I prayed for him. And I said, now you're part of God's family. You're part of God's family. And all the things that we talked about, God will do for you. He'll take care of you. You'll never go into a battle without him. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He's told us all the things we talked about, I said, are yours. And they can be yours this morning if you do the same thing that they did. If you would, in simple childlike faith, say, I'm a sinner. I understand there's a penalty for that sin. And right now I'm depending on Jesus Christ as the payment for my sin to make me right with my God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I wonder if you're here, wouldn't you like to be a part of the family of God? Wouldn't you like to be one of his children? Wouldn't you like to have the Ark of the Covenant to come to when you need him in a special way? You can have it all by coming to Christ. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Ark of the Covenant, what it meant to your people, and what it means to us today. And I pray for those that are here that have never received Christ as their Savior. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just convict them of their sin. Help them to understand that there is indeed a penalty for sin, and that penalty is to be separated from you forever and ever and ever. But, Father, help them to also see the great price that was paid on Calvary. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. He suffered what we should have suffered. He paid the price that we should have paid in order to make us right with you. And, Father, if there's just one here this morning that's never made that decision to receive Christ, I pray that they would make it right now, that they they would ask Jesus to be their Savior. And then, Father, I pray as they do that, that in just a second they would come down the aisle and share with us that decision so that we could rejoice with them. 
So, Father, I pray that you bless this time of invitation. Speak to not only the lost, but speak to us as Christians. Help us once again to realize what we have because we're part of your family, because we're your children. Again, Father, bless the invitation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.